1: Hello, your opinions are bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Perfect.
2: So many, so many, so many damn books.
0: Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books Holiday Edition. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have some lovely guests joining us in the damn library. Uh, sort of version 2.3.0, I don't know. And we have, um, just uh, right next to me here is Nosley. Hi, uh,
1: Nasli Samazadeh. Thank you. Uh, I'm the uh, producer of the Tournament of Books and very excited to be here.
0: We also have Uli, do you want to say your full name too? For
3: I can say my full name. I'm Uli Bartokowin, cohen the founder of Subway Book Review and I am pleased to be here.
0: I'm so glad. And then Bianca.
4: I'm Bianca Bosker. I too can say my name, um, and I'm the author of Cork Dork and a writer. And really delighted to be chugging wine with you all this evening. Yes. Yes.
0: Actually, Bianca, you have um, we we decided to let you to take care of beverages this evening, or at least uh, tell the, tell us which beverages to buy. Yeah. Tell us about this wine.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So we are drinking this evening a um, Teutonic wine. So the the winery is actually called Teutonic. Um, It is not, but it is also made in a Germanic style. And I'm partial to this wine because uh, it's from my hometown of Portland, Oregon. And um, I happened to meet uh, the winemaker this summer when I was doing a road trip down the West Coast. And he's this incredible guy, total character, like very down to earth and he makes awesome wine. And so um, this is a Riesling. Um, and another reason I have it is I think that Rieslings, you know, we don't give them full credit. You know, they're, I think they're underrated. And also last time Uli and I got together, we went through a lot of Riesling. And so I'm curious to see what happens this time around.
0: Wow.
3: Riesling is such a good wine to get sloshed on, especially on the holiday season. Yeah. <laughs> Why is
0: it particularly good to get sloshed on Riesling?
4: I mean, it's like a winter white. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, it's for me, it's a year-round boy, but I think it's got like high acid. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, this wine I think has, um, I don't know, it's got like the, this also wonderful sort of unctuousness to it. Like it's mm. the best of both worlds, but.
0: Unctuous. I yeah. love that word.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a nice way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it has, it has some additional sort of character. It's maybe Rubenesque, but also acidic. Mm. Would it be fair to say it has a cheerful mouth feel? <laughs> oh, yeah,
5: sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we we should say that we are also doing the episode more. We're trying to be more like a, a suburban book club. Yes?
2: Right? Yeah, uh, Wh-
0: Whatever that might mean.
2: You know, I don't people get together in a house and drink wine, maybe they read the book, maybe they haven't.
0: Yeah, maybe they're mad at the choice that week. Uh, as it seems like, <laughs> or like perhaps favorite. there's like
2: an interpersonal thing that's playing out. I don't know. It's very fun. It's
4: so it's, is this going to devolve into gossip?
2: I wouldn't have a problem with that.
1: Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if by the end of the hour we're not talking about the book at all, I wouldn't be mad.
2: That sort of feels like the target, you know?
0: Yeah, it seems like that's where we're headed. <laughs> um, but before we go into the book that we've chosen for this episode, why don't we talk about what we buy? <laughs> I'll start. Actually, I bought Drew a, a Christmas present. Ooh. So why don't you open it, Drew? All right, and then we can. Uh...
5: Oh, I love can that. Can I pass oh. you?
2: Can I pass you yours? Yeah, Drew? yeah. yeah. We'll mean... just do this at the same time. Yeah. Oh,
5: this is so sweet. I
1: just, for the record, Christopher's wrapping grab is prettier. There's some ribbon and some like kind <laughs> slate gray
3: paper. Drew went the tissue paper oh, wrap. Oh yeah, through.
2: mine was what? Oh, what my is gosh. in it? <laughs> Wow.
3: Are we also supposed to feel left out right now yeah. as you two are opening <laughs> gifts? Wait, If for... you do. <laughs> they just pulled out some
5: gifts. These, these are them. beautifully
3: wrapped yeah, gifts. These are amazing.
5: <laughs> amazing oh, for guys. you guys. They are
4: oh beautifully so cool. wrapped. They think of everything. Wait, wow. Wow. So, many books. so, Uli, do you feel really bad right now? I'm <laughs> 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 <have> an a hole. <laughs> okay, uh, so, tell us what you got.
2: Yeah um lonesome dove which i have never read but hell yes do i want to read this
0: this is one of my top five favorite books in the world and i knew that he hadn't read it yet so i thought it was time for him to try it's also about oh yeah just a friendship which i thought you know is a is a worthy topic of a novel for you
2: nice thanks man
0: and drew gave me one christmas a really cool slipcase edition of Truman Capote's Christmas Story. This oh, is awesome. Cool. This,
2: because as everyone I think knows, Christopher is the perhaps Christmas's biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've it has been nice because then for Christmas I get to find cool old Christmas books. Uh, and this one I was like I was like shit I think I'm out and I saw this at Strand and I was like.
4: Oh.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh,
4: that's so be... cool. Should we open them? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, guys, this is amazing. We have been given a trio
1: of maybe matching gifts Mm -hmm. in very fetching Christmas-themed bags. This is really exciting. (laughs) I love
5: presents.
4: Oh, great. I love Shamboard. Oh, my gosh. This is awesome. All right, so we are holding up some amazing absolutely beautiful bottles of chambord right now this is so cool (laughs) this is really wait i want you guys to teach me how to use this too
0: well um we actually sent our um patreon subscribers a um a bottle of chambord and a a recipe to make a specific cocktail um called the subscriber special
4: ah and that
0: was a gin black tea simple syrup uh chambord and lemon juice
4: that sounds delicious. So Thank we, you so cheers. Much. Yeah, we yeah, cheers. cheers.
0: Yeah, Yeah, cheers. <laughs> so that's. Uh...
1: It also looks like a Christmas ornament. Kind of. <laughs> it's yeah, just it's a beautiful I just want to bottle. it on the tree.
0: So why don't you guys talk about what? Why don't you ed- talk about what you bought?
1: I can go first. Uh, I generally come to most books probably between three months and four years after they are being buzzed about. Uh, But I recently bought a book you may have heard of called Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney and read it in like the, like 14 hours after I bought it. And it was amazing. And I loved it.
0: Wow. I love that, to buy a book and then just immediately read it. I I so rarely actually get to do that. Yeah, that's great. Uli?
3: Well, I finally got around to buying Sing Unburied Sing Mm. by Jasmine Ward. Yes. And, um... Did that after the National Book Awards, which I was very excited to attend this year. Oh, and cool. So, so cool! It was really fun. I won't lie; it was very, very fun. So yeah, that's um, next in line because you know I had to finish something. I'm very excited to read it. I'm very much looking forward to it.
5: Nice.
1: Can I deliver my bit of gossip from the NBA Awards? That are it's almost contextless, but I want to tell someone because that's kind of funny. Okay. Yes. Uh, my partner is a grad student. He teaches a class at John Jay. And the day after the awards, one of his students was like late or something, or maybe they were chatting and she was like, yeah, I'm like so tired. I was working late last night. She works at Cipriani as a server. And she was like, there's this crazy party. I think it was like the national book awards or something. No one tipped. Everyone was so rude. (laughs) And Jared was like, I know one or 15 people who were at that party.
0: (laughs) Oh man.
1: We're supposed to tip. People are tipping. I'm, yeah, I don't know about tipping. I would, I would believe that maybe that... I, my theory is that, like, probably usually people who go to Cipriani are, like, so fancy and rich that they, like, behave a certain way. And maybe all of the assistants didn't know how to behave. I don't know. I'm not
4: making any dreadments here. I just think it's kind money. of funny.
3: <laughs> I feel worse again. <laughs> That's why I just poured you some more wine. Bianca, thank
4: you for looking at <laughs> Um, Do you want to
0: talk about a book you bought, Bianca? Yeah,
4: I bought, um, actually, funny you should give a Truman Capote book, I just bought In Cold Blood, which I've never read, and I feel like I should remedy that, and so I'm very excited to dive in. Um, And then I actually spent a lot of time at the library this week, and I dove into um, Emily Witt's Future Sex, which was great, I'm thinking about, again, buying. And uh, although I've already read it. um, And I also decided that I want to read The Voyeur's Motel. So that's Mm. on my list, which Mm. I think is controversial. Gay to is latest. The Netflix documentary just came up. But I'm intrigued. You know, it came out and landed with a silent thud. And I I want (laughs) to dive in.
0: Yeah. Well, goodbye (laughs) and (laughs) everybody.
2: Who among us belongs to a book club, like a real life book club?
4: Bianca's raising her hand.
2: Drew uh, is do. raising his hand. I'm Mine not.
1: ended some years ago, but we still read the same books and text about them. Oh, that's
2: nice. Oh. Really cool. That's nice. Um,
4: Very 21st century. We all moved away. <laughs> yeah.
2: I have a book club that's been running for about six years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I find that a nice way to kick everything off is just to go around. You can say as much or as little as you'd like but just to open up with what did you think? And we start with the person who chose the book, which I think means we have to start with Christopher.
0: Oh, man. Well, I wanted to choose a book for... I should talk... Okay, so we're talking Tom Hanks' Uncommon Type, which is his short story collection um, that it seemed like he sort of telegraphed that he was going to come out with with the New Yorker story, Alan Bean Plus Four, which caused a little bit of a ruckus of like, why is Tom Hanks publishing short stories at all? Uh, let
2: alone in The New Yorker?
0: Let alone. Um, I remain so curious about him as a writer because I love one of the movies that he, abs- that he wrote, uh, you know, he wrote That Thing You Do, which is one of my favorite movies ever. And I just am interested in this sort of, like, in the same way that I was interested in Steve Martin's fiction, um, in the same way that, you know, I was, there, there's a lot of these people who, who, who straddle the lines, but he's the, obviously the biggest. Um, this huge monumental actor that has done everything, and so I chose this book thinking that we could be as mean as we might want to be, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Tom Hanks is not going to be listening to this podcast. Maybe, uh, but also if we, I would love. I was hoping to be uh, pleasantly surprised, um, as I was by Alan Bean plus four, and as as well as the short story that he published in One Story um, before it came out he did the um the green street story was uh came out on one stories mm. and one story is a um literary magazine that publishes one story every three weeks that gets mm. sent to your as like chapbook style to your mail anyway i was often charmed by this book um in a way that i really wasn't expecting I w- because i didn't love the one story inclusion i did like alan bean plus four and i honestly kept thinking like oh tom hanks like <laughs> This is you are obviously a uh, connected to the world in a really weird way because you've been an actor all your life, and you're a student of humanity. But maybe you don't know quite how people really think. But I kept (laughs) like liking that. Like I still still just looking at his seeing the world through his eyes for a while was interesting. And I also am a typewriter enthusiast, and there's a really good typewriter short story in there that I really, really like.
4: Hmm, I must one? have missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, um
0: The main... Yeah, I know. All right. So that's my thought. No, no. I, <laughs> wait, which was the good type? Of, I'm actually These curious, are the yeah. meditations of my heart. I liked mm. that because ah, I knew it you would fucking fair. love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nosly, what, Nosly, did, you what did you think? what did you think?
1: Okay. So I think that in Trump's America, the media we consume is like more important than ever and the kind of like underlying message of it are more important than ever. Um, Uncommon Type to me is a book full of really dangerous rhetoric. Um, mm. The way that this book talks, women are either thin and smart or like kind of doofy and kind, you know, or they're dangerous. You know, like women are never like real characters. Uh, you know, any anyone who is an immigrant exists kind of either as a punchline. Like the only thing we know about them is their immigrantness. ness uh, Like what are some other things about this book? Like everything is a cliche. Everything's expressed in cliches. Um, almost to the extent that it's, like, this fallback that, like, why bother trying to have, like, hold more complex ideas about the world and what people can do in the world where we can f- like, kind of, fall back on these safe, like, kind of white American values. This is a book that really espoused white American values in a way that, like, freaked me the fuck out often. Um,
2: Ooh.
1: And, like, the the story um, Christmas Eve 1953 is maybe what it was, what it was called, the yeah, second story. Sort of like it's about, like, a man whoever the course of the story, you realize that he's a veteran, and you realize that like his gay friend never entered society again. And like the point of the story is that I don't know, the war ended for some people, but like the, the friend's gayness is never like dealt with. The friend's gayness like others him, but it never actually does anything with that. Um I don't know. It was a book that like made me very uncomfortable with so, with the type of person who would read the book and be like, wow, that really touched my heart. Mm. Um that said, Alan Bean Plus Four delightful weird story that made no motion to justify its weirdness and that was what was fun about it yeah Yeah. i didn't realize that that was the new yorker one until afterward um which like i'm kind of glad about i probably would have like gone in a little more with my hackles up if i had known um but everything else just like the underlying assumptions that it made about the type of people in its world like
3: made me very uncomfortable
0: (laughs) 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 uli
4: I made it through most of the book, not all of it, but I. I would say also, just for context and in Uli's defense, that the book is a very long short story long. collection. Yeah. True. Oh, I it's mean. It's 403 pages. Yeah.
3: I'm a very fast reader, but I got the book two days ago. So I'm halfway through. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Bianca. I think that, um, yeah, I, I picked out a few stories based on title and kind of picked around in there and looked for variety. And I felt that. Um, overall, I really thought the timing of the book is strange. And I would say it was strange to me in the same way that Adam Gopnik's, um, at the stranger's gate was Uh also weirdly timed, you know, like it feels like both of those men write stories that could all be set in the Mm fifties or, you know, come from that kind of. Um, simpler times, whimsical, nostalgic point of view. And um, there was one story, though, in there. It's um, a drunken in the City of Light that I found most relatable. And I thought, oh, I would totally love to hear more from Tom Hanks on that kind of experience and maybe like how that unfolds. And that's about, you know, you know an actor's whirlwind moment and his relationship to the world. And I was like, oh, that is cool to hear from from Tom Hanks that's also well timed you know like that fits right now right. Mm. so it, a lot of the other stories i just um yeah I, th- I thought that the the timing of it was really weird and there were a lot of like big boys add a babies uh lollygaggings going on <laughs>
5: yeah. that
3: i don't um that I you know I I think it's not about liking or disliking a book for me ever but it's like what do I get from it and what perspective do I get and that's not a perspective I'm seeking right now.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Bianca? Yeah,
4: yeah um you know I where to begin I I have to say that it's as someone that recently came out with a book and felt the you know it's it's hard to put something that you've made out into the world and have people react to it and so part of me um, I think is sensitive to what it's like whether or not Tom Hanks is listening to this you know like he's <laughs> he's made something and, and part of me is I guess like with the memory of Corkdor coming out just sensitive to uh, what it feels like to get negative criticism um, but I think that it's I, I think that as I for almost every story that I read in this collection um, I did ask myself why? Mm-hmm. Um, and me- on many levels, you know, why did this story need to be told? Why did this book need to be published? What was the tension that he was getting at? What was the larger point? I mean, I think that there's... Um, I found the stories, they exist in a world that... I, I didn't feel like this story collection taught me something knew about the human condition. And I think that not that every piece of work that we read does, but at the very least, they should be entertaining. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I would sort of agree with you, Nosley, that there was something... I'm willing to accept that not every piece of writing that comes out right now has to be about Trump or inequality or injustice, but I think that reading it at this moment, when there's kind of bigger issues coming out, like, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I felt impatient reading it. I felt like there's mm-hmm. other things that I would really love to get to. And um, instead, because of you, I... <laughs> 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 um and I think that there's I think there's a lot to talk about. I think that there's what, what intrigued me is sort of was thinking about like why did some of these stories work or not work. I mean, from the perspective of a writer, like what would have been the feedback that I would have given? And and one thing that I came back to again and again was I felt like there was a bit of an inconsistency um of voice in these stories. Um that maybe we can come back to that there was almost like a rootlessness right like and, I, and for that reason actually like you really my favorite story was the um, A Junket in the City of Light which is told by this sort of um, airhead actor who's on this you know kind of Jason Bourne like tour and I it was sort of like this is to me an interesting story for Tom Hanks as an actor to be telling um, and you know the voice worked a little bit better in the sense that it was a bit of airheady and it was consistent throughout but yeah i think it was um it was a it was a difficult story collection but not in the sense difficult like you know it like made me cry Mm -hmm. you know yeah Um,
0: yeah. all right drew bring it home
2: i so uh, tom hanks is my dad's favorite actor far and away and i think think
4: think... he's like the dad yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't but but that that It's so true, though,
2: yeah, and I couldn't get that out of my head the whole time that I was reading. and the the place that Tom Hanks inhabits in the world, where he, like Nosley, your comment is I'm thinking about it in a way where like Tom Hanks is the the nice side of the like, make America great again coin. i like, I can't imagine he would endorse that slogan. Or anybody who supports it but that idea uh, like Tom Hanks exists in like a Pleasantville world that where things are simpler whatever that might mean and sometimes that works to great effect like Alan Bean I remember when I read it in The New Yorker and I was kind of blown away I think because my expectations were so low and coming back to it in this collection I was like damn that's a lovely charming story is it, a, is it an exceptional story? No, but I was very, I was glad to have read it and had it just existed as that single story for me, which it did for like two years, there was something lovely about like, Tom Hanks wrote that cool story in the New Yorker. How, how neat. Um, then
1: he wrote 17 more. <laughs> yeah,
2: and some of, them, some of them I couldn't stand. I skipped a couple. Some of them I, I tried to remove the Hanks of it all and think about them as, like, these are interesting first drafts from a writer who clearly has, like, wants to write. Like, I, I get the sense that he enjoys the process of writing.
1: What a, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm I'm dying to read the very last sentence in the acknowledgement makes it clear to oh, me that yeah. no one fucking touched these drafts. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the very last sentence in the acknowledgements. And thanks to all those at Penguin Random House who examined, admired, improved, and made presentable these stories. No one, there was no second draft. Yeah. There was no second draft of any of these stories. These are the stories of a man who no one has said no to, probably in several decades, yeah. and who thinks that everyone, everything that he comes out with is amazing, unless someone who's richer than him at like a production studio <laughs> is telling him to change it.
2: Yeah, mm. I, I I felt that way a lot. And some of these stories, like I I wanted, I want Tom Hanks to take a creative writing class
0: a a lot of them i would i would have written as a as someone who sometimes teaches creative writing classes just like needs more attention like on the top of like nearly every single one
1: there was one that in particular I thought was just like clearly a failed twilight zone episode it was the past is important to us the one where you like (laughs) this guy who has like is like a 756 billionaire and like pays $6 million a pop to go back to a certain day to like go to the world's fair in 1939. And it's it's the Willoughby episode of the Twilight Zone,
3: mm-hmm. but he
1: doesn't take it home at the end. He doesn't realize it has to end in a more interesting way than oh my like, God! I wanted to fuck ends. the lady and
3: then I die. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. I would like to add something. I would like to add something. I would like to add a, a Tom Hanks, anecdote, if I can, real quick, Oh yes. because, I, because I really feel that this t- story was told to me by a dear friend, and, and I do believe it creates good context in terms of like the man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dear friend is an actress who was on stage with him um, at the play Lucky Guy a couple of years ago. And to this day, she loves him and says he truly is a joy. And he has these things that he believes in so much that he shares, and that he really you know w- wants to connect over and he his love for typewriters is really truly real and he he went to the length of giving every single cast member a vintage <laughs> typewriter who was in lucky guy and I do th- really get from her and how she speaks about him and how he you know still you know checks in on her and her her family and like you know it's an actress and a cinematographer you know they're both self-employed artists and like there is a care and i get that he really is seeking these like lovely interactions that are real like i just feel that in how she speaks about it i really do mm. i
2: can see that in these stories too the, like the thing i will say to counter you Nosly, is that i think Blind though they may have been, his intentions—like he—he is just like, yeah. Here's this th- like, what about this thing? Which, in the best possible way, your mileage is absolutely going to vary.
4: I guess I, uh, to me, uh, to me, like I read this very much like disassociating like Tom Hanks, the actor, with Tom Hanks, the writer, because you can be an amazing actor. He is an amazing actor. He's had a distinguished career. And in some ways, when I pick up a work of his fiction, I don't care. I mean, I I don't know. To me, at least, I was trying to read this just on the merits of what was on the page, and so I think that I don't know. I just I felt like there wasn't like when you when you think of Tom, like Tom Hanks, what's the expression that he's like America's like dad. nice guy? Yeah, yeah dad. And so in America's that sense, dad. like. <laughs> I agree that there was a little part of me that would kind of flit in and out of like, could I see him in this role or whatever? But I I very much tried to silence that and just kind of evaluate like, what was this person if he was a Tom Hanks it just happened to share the name, what would I think of these stories? And I think that I I would have, I almost wish like they almost work if you read them ironically. If you're like, oh, you like, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're like, oh, like you're writing in this world that you like imagine because ex- they almost border they could have been sinister, or they could have been ironic. Yeah, some of them. yeah. Like I, what, what shocked me is, you know, when I approach, I think when I think of sh- like really effective short stories, I often find that like a short story is something that in a couple of pages can break your fucking heart, mm-hmm. and. Almost every one of these stories ends really happily. Like there's nothing really bad. And I I don't think he's an ironic guy.
3: That's the thing. But I almost was like, Like, is there like a, is like
4: performance art? We're like, (laughs) I
3: think that's IRL Tom Hanks. He's a happy, like happiness spreading human
1: being. Should we allow happiness spreading human beings to create art then? It's like maybe would be my question.
2: I hope so. We need another bottle of wine for
4: that question. Shall we open the German Pinot Noir? Great. Yeah, Yeah, great. So this is, um, I don't know if I've had this wine, a Hager. It's the winemaker, right? Mm -hmm. Looks delicious. I've been drinking a lot of German Pinot Noir recently because I find that um, I tend to like, you know, earthier Pinot Noirs that are kind of more in the French style and what I love about a German Pinot Noir is it tastes, um, it's sort of like what you get from like a lovely, not you know, overly expensive burgundy, but for like a quarter of the price, you know. Ooh. So it's not it's pro tip. Like, yeah, <laughs> and they tend to be, I think, more, um, yeah, like they have. They're a little bit like earthier and kind of dirty, not dirty, but like you think of like wet soil. I know that sounds really pretentious, but once you have enough wine and you grow up in a place like Portland where it rains a lot and the earth is damp all the time, I start to crave that because it reminds me of my childhood. Mm. Um, and they still have, I have a higher acidity. I think they're a good bang for the buck. Um, and cheers. Thank you. We, we went through that bottle rather quickly.
2: So <laughs> yeah, we did. We oh, did. I am excited about this.
4: I would say that I don't have, cheers. How much, how much was this bottle?
2: Uh Cheers. twenty-one.
4: Twenty one. So I think my point is like for twenty one if you were to spend twenty one dollars on like a bottle of, you know, Pinot Noir from Burgundy, you would not I haven't tried this one yet, but you know, in general you're gonna get a way better bang for your buck in a similar style for German Pinot Noir.
3: Mm. This Hager is a very nice Hager
4: Yeah, good. <laughs> it's so delightful,
3: it's like so light. hmm Yeah.
2: I had a bottle of burgundy at Terroir last night. Ah. and so to realize that like this is a fun way to do that without spending as much as I did on that bottle of burgundy last <laughs> night
1: what were, we, were you celebrating something?
2: Uh, m- my three of my college friends and I have a wine coven.
4: But I think that's an interesting question, this idea of, you know. I would disagree. I mean, I don't think that work has to be happy. I don't agree either, but... But I think it's interesting. Like, I recently read and reviewed a book called The Wine Lover's Daughter um, by Anne Fadiman. And it was very interesting to me because it was a memoir uh, about her relationship with her father. And it was a very, for all intents and purposes, a very pleasant, happy childhood. And it did raise in my mind this question of, you know, can you... If you're not like an A-list celebrity or a president, is a chi- is a happy childhood interesting for a memoir. Mm. You know, I mean when you think about when I think about the great memoirs I've loved, maybe you know, I've heard I haven't read Speak Memory, but I've heard that um not that Nabokov's yeah, autobiography? Mm-hmm. I've heard that he, it's by and large kind of pleasant. Maybe his mm-hmm. mother I don't know. I haven't read it. Um, but you know, when I think about my favorite memoirs, they tend to be pretty tragic. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And I I think that I love reading dramatic, deep, um, horrifying accounts (laughs) of moments in life. I really do, because I feel like that's when I really, really get to learn something or when they're truly very different from the perspective of my own life. But to Nasli's questions, do artists get to make happy art? Um, I would say that I aim to do that with Subway Book Review. I want to create stories and present humans in a way that is uplifting. Mm -hmm. And I do believe I have a right and a place to do that.
1: That's an interesting point. Um, Tom Hanks, you know, his craft is thinking about how people feel about things and then, like, conveying that um, with, like, his his body. Um, And it's strange in that sense, then, that... um, the stories that he wrote are people who uh have backstories but don't particularly uh, like like grow or change like they're fairly static on the page um I, I guess like the the difference between um like the fact that he probably has to think deeply and understand like you know unhappy people but like chose when he was making art to only write stories about people who had breakups in their past but aren't really doing anything about them in the present mm. And like that that to me is a little bit funny. I, I I think that what you said about like what Subway Book Reviews does is, is very beautiful. But like it was strange that like an actor who who like his craft is this particular thing, like wrote these stories that don't really involve people being dynamic.
3: And I think you can create happiness without being um, nostalgic. And I think mm-hmm. you can do it by totally being in the moment. And I guess that's what I meant earlier by saying the timing of this book coming out this year to me is really strange. Like a book that was insanely beautifully timed for me this year was Exit West. That hit me at the perfect time. It came into my life after the election. It was phenomenally timed. I do think that
4: beautiful art can be beautiful. It can be happy. It can be uplifting. I don't think that's the sole problem with these stories. Like I think for example, I just saw the David Hockney show, right? David Hockney is I think a really hedonistic painter. I mean, he paints this like these beautiful colors. It's kind of happy art. And I don't think that there's a problem with that. I'm just not I I what I took issue with I, I wanted to understand like what what bothered what didn't quite sit well with me about these stories and I think if they had it, I think that at the same time Uli, that people are are looking for these works that help them make sense of, you know, horror, uncertainty, I think we also look for escapism in the Mm -hmm. things that we read. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think what I found problematic, you know, if Tom Hanks had decided that he wanted my two cents on his work, which he did not and probably does not, what I found problematic was the the voice within these stories would often be very inconsistent within the story itself mm. so like i'm fine with it being a happy story and it being uplifting but like it feels like the third person narrator is alternating between the mother's voice and mm-hmm. the son's voice or like you know to your point the bulgarian immigrant in Gosi see kostas seem like sounds stupid you know like there yeah. it's like he's he doesn't speak english but he's not dumb and, and we yeah, sort of yeah, alternate yeah. without warning between the omniscient third-person narrator and like the the main character the protagonist of the story a similar like craft level thing along those
1: lines that drove me nuts throughout the book was that like he can't decide if he wants to um be a kind of george saunders figure like making fun of the platforms and, yeah. cap- and capitalism like in the same story and welcome to mars i think he's like Oh like the parking lot was there making way for the big box mart and then like a paragraph later you're talking about subway. It's like okay, you get subway or you get big box mart. You don't get both. Right. Or like sudden, you know, like a, a much older woman talks about like getting off Snapchat. It's like get your references right. Like get your references <laughs> right or or make them up and be like you know, do some dad jokes. That's totally acceptable if you do that throughout, but you can't have both and you can't flip back and forth. Right. And that just felt like a line at it that needed to be made that hadn't been
0: made. <laughs> happy people get to make art is a really interesting question and that's the one that I've been kind of stuck on because I would never want to police who gets to make art and I would never want to police Tom Hanks from like putting out a story collection I think that like there is space and room for so many voices and uh, yeah like is this a great short story collection I would say no but I would defend his right to put it out forever in the same in the same way tom hanks didn't get to choose necessarily when his book came out and if i bet you
4: i'm sure he didn't get to choose yeah
0: and i bet you he he is was sweating his release date just like any debut author would be sweating their release date um and i think it's sort of interesting this guy who has been in huge multi-million dollar movies for decades now, um, he has gotten a fallback on, like, I didn't write that, or I didn't direct that, or I I was as only as good as the actors in the scene. Like, he could have had that through in the back of his head this whole time. And now he's putting out a book that not even, didn't, apparently not even get edited. And, uh, <laughs> and he's actually has to stand behind that and be like, yep, I wrote all of these. I have to take this criticism myself. I think it's actually, if you're Tom Hanks... <laughs> Basically, only this is the only time that it makes any sense. But if you're Tom Hanks, I would I would do this too. Like I would, if I were Tom Hanks, I would want to put out my story collection because I would want to see what a real critique looks like, where I can't hide behind any other um, space.
3: And I'd be curious if he wrote it wrote it or if a ghostwriter wrote it because i do think what we're seeing a lot right now and oh what, my what God. we're seeing Wait, that,
4: made, that made me so well i just no but you I know what i'm talking about if it was ghosted, yeah it was ghost- i'd be pretty sad oh, but you know that I just, this
3: I year would, i, I <laughs> bianca's having a moment oh, <laughs> you, sorry, you think right. you think it's
1: possible that he like delivered a brief and was like here's the typewriter here's the sad breakup story <laughs> <laughs> Deliver me this story."
0: I think that um, the uh, publishing industry doesn't believe that um, the uh, we as readers, for some reason, can like take the idea that like something was edited or translated or co-written, and like another name on the jacket just like freaks people out. Yes, yeah. I, I can't read that. Two people wrote it,
4: <laughs> um, and so
0: like like I I. I I would.
4: I will say though, as a as a writer who has a really hard time collaborating with other writers, like I like the last time I co-wrote something was sophomore year of college. It does freak me out to see two. <laughs> like, you like how did you do that? And not would be kill each other in that like- process,
1: but an <laughs> You know,
4: someone who has worked in the film industry for his entire career. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, everything about the film industry is collaborative. So, but maybe I, except. But for you were being saying, right okay, there. so the publishing industry thinks that people lose their damn minds.
0: So I just think that I personally would love to see more people's names on jackets in general. Like Hell I yes. would love to see the co-writers, Amen. ghostwriters, and collaborators. Amen Especially to that. translators. Like I don't understand why U.S. publishers don't put translators. Yep.
3: They started, uh, yes, for the Yes.
2: Coffee houses started doing it, and uh, New Directions does. It New Directions sometimes. does, um, but the the Yuri Herrera. Publisher uh, and other stories. Mm. I think it's called. Mm. That a, is also a fantastic a clothing, clothing store. Clothing yeah. store.
3: <laughs> I did buy the shirts <laughs> there. Um,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe think they run that, both.
0: Would yeah. that be cool? But I would say that I, there's just abs. I just there's just absolutely no way in it that I, I would I would go to the bet that that this is this is Tom Hanks uh, uh, in his Tom Hanksiest.
3: All right. So the thing, isn't there the something thing that's to be said
1: for of, that. The thing that reminded me of was another person who wrote some really self-indulgent fiction.
2: Tell me, give it give it to me.
1: James Franco. Yes.
2: <laughs> I thought about Palo Alto the whole time I was reading this collection. Mm.
1: Yeah, and like someone who like no one said no to in a real long time, who like gets to work on whatever he wants to, like who will put it out and like like probably fully believe that it's really good. Um, like, I actually don't believe that he that Tom Hanks sweated his publication day. I think he probably like walked to the nearest Barnes and Noble and was like, Remember you've got mail? Like, I love
2: Barnes and Noble. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think that's what he did. <laughs> Wait, so James Franco wrote oh my God, I Palo see- Alto or no.
2: He's written I I will believe that James Franco wrote both Palo Alto and the uh, the novel.
3: Yeah. Actors uh, Anonymous. Christopher's
2: shaking no again. Like no, I don't know. I will buy it only because that dude has clearly like uh, just does all of those things regardless of how good they are and he does not give a fuck he's like i did this terrible thing yep i'm already three things later yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. okay here's a crazy oh idea. my god i wish i like i want whatever like fucking antidepressant he's on <laughs> like, that's amazing like i can't write a tweet without like a lot of self-doubt i mean that's just
3: I have totally antidepressant called a lot of money. You guys. <laughs> this is as good as an antidepressant. You want to hear this crazy idea? Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. okay. what if Tom Hanks and Nora Ephron had re- co-written this story? Because they're very close. Nora Ephron, bless her heart,
1: and RIP, too smart to have worked on a thing with Tom Hanks, I want to believe. <laughs>
2: Except, I mean, he dedicated the book to her, yeah. and I believe that she's probably the really? one who convinced him to write. Whether or not she... Like, agree. I'm trying to think about the timeline.
3: Because there is Nora flavor in the book. Mm-hmm. There's a channeling. Where? But like the where? I do think there's a channeling in it. Let me find. Okay, in that. But it's like he filtered it
1: through all of his white man privilege and it just came out as kind of like mawkish Americana. Even,
0: yes. Even more than but, white man yes. privilege, just like rich rich actor privilege. Yeah. But I do want to say, like, with that rich actor, white man privilege, like, I do, I, I kept my expectations so deeply low for this. And I think that that's why I kept getting charmed by it. Just,
4: I, it's interesting that you say that because I just so strongly disagree with that premise of approaching the book like I I, I feel like I from for a lot of the writers that I read like I don't really know where they came from or who they are what their you know circumstances were and so I, there's something to me about setting expectations higher I don't know I at least read it very much being like I'm gonna pretend like I don't know if Tom Hanks wrote this mm. and judge it based on how these stories speak to me and I, I just
0: I literally picked it up because it has Tom Hanks name on the cover that's why that's why I wanted to read it. Christopher,
3: because... you're a dad.
0: <laughs> oh uh. god. A,
2: this is a crazy way to find out. <laughs>
3: Christopher, you have three children.
2: The camera crew comes out of the <laughs> closet right now.
3: I'm
1: unwrapping the envelope from twenty three and me
3: and the children now meet their father. <laughs>
2: Here's a question, going back to somebody you referenced earlier, Christopher, and he's got the first blurb on the back, uh-huh. Steve Martin. Yeah. And Steve Martin is somebody who, I mean, I was not present in the literary world when Steve Martin started publishing fiction. Right. I think he
0: started with, I mean, he's he had a couple of collections, but then... Shop wrote, Girl was Shop the Girl first... Shop Girl was his,
2: like, novel debut.
3: Shop Girl was a fine novel.
2: Yeah. And an Object of Beauty is also, uh, uh, or is that the... Is that the right name? No, it's uh
0: Symphony of, Bo- of
2: Myself. Something like that. Well, anyway, you can google this. We'll put it on the website. But like those books are treated as they are taken on the terms of their literary merits. And like Steve Martin is a somewhat respected author. And I the thing that baffles me is that I don't I don't think anybody questioned that Steve Martin could write stories novels novellas whatever but of in the course way not that,
3: that guy's a comedian that guy writes all of his material hanks and has, has written for movies forever.
2: this i mean i'm sort of playing devil's advocate on this because
4: but I, look i agree with you and i also think that you know perhaps had it been a, a collection of stories by steve martin we probably wouldn't be talking about steve martin we'd be talking about the stories right
2: <laughs>
0: right right but he's also not as big of an acting presence as Tom Hanks' is either.
4: He was when he started writing, I think. Can we question, since we're talking about the blurbs. Yeah. We, Mindy Colling blurbed this. Yeah. Was yeah. anyone else surprised by this? Honestly, I want to read. I'm looking I at you. I was surprised by
1: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. I think I think that one thing that I find interesting, just as a meta-analysis of our conversation, is the fact that, I think it speaks to the fact that people in like the book world, obsessively read the acknowledgements. Like I think that there's definitely- the first thing I read actually. You know, there's like definitely this like voyeuristic (laughs) element. Yeah,
0: I definitely want to know who the author's friends are. Like that's basically what I think of when I look acknowledgements up. But like
2: on the back here- the
1: reason to look at acknowledgements is in case you're in them. Oh (laughs) yeah. yeah. That's the only reason to look at them. I will say
2: the first time I was in an acknowledgement, I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. (laughs) Um, so, but um, th- not in the acknowledgements, but
0: in the, um, in blurbs on the back, we have Steve Martin, Mindy Kaling, Carl Hyasson, Stephen Fry, and then Anna Funder. Someone
2: called Anna Funder.
0: Who I don't, I don't know her reputation, and, and, like and, I know uh, everybody Patchett else. And Anne
2: Patchett at the beginning. And yeah. Ann at the front. Oh, yeah. That I mean, That's one, some heavy hitters, like, Anne Ann Patchett feels like, as a bookseller, she's like, hell yes, I want a Tom Hanks book. Really? Uh.
3: I'm really curious um, which some of the books are that everybody read this year that brought them great joy or gave them pause
0: mm. in
3: a positive way.
0: Okay, so we, we can, yeah, we can wait, put Tom aside were, for a little wait, bit Wait, they yeah. were
4: beautiful, like sort of up like uplifting?
3: It, it or? doesn't matter if they were beautiful, just books that kind of like kicked you in the butt and in the heart at the same time and you're mm. all like, oh, this woke me up.
4: Mm.
2: Mm. Exit I, West did that, especially considering I fucking hate Hated uh, how to get filthy rich in rising Asia. I'm gonna just say I loved
0: The Changeling by Victor Laval. That oh, book yeah. hit me so hard in all the best ways. Um, it's fantastic, and it was one of those that I was so enjoying when I was reading it out in public that someone was like, "What is that?" Because <laughs> uh, I was like turning the page uh, during the during a, the birth scene of the of the character's son.
4: One that comes to mind is um, Jeff Dyer's But Beautiful, um, which is this interesting, I don't even know what to quite call it. I mean, it's somewhere in between nonfiction and like literary jazz, and it's about jazz. And he uses verbs in this absolutely incredible way and made me want to just dive into this. I've, I've been listening to all this new music ever since I read it, um, I, I don't know. I, I just found it a really affecting, beautiful book. And I, I'm I also read um I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. We talked about it last time, uh Ariel Levy's or Levy. Mm-hmm. Um The Rules Do Not Apply. Mm-hmm. Um which Uh, I remember just not being able to put down and then oh god I keep sending three there's so many but also so John McPhee was a professor of mine and he wrote draft number four yeah Uh, and that book really as a writer hearing his the advice and sort of recollections of someone who is a writer it's just incredible I mean if you work with words you have to read this book Mm. Um, I I loved it I have a few too Um,
3: I feel that Affections by Rodrigo Hasbun, just didn't even get enough play this year. That book was outrageously good. I have a copy
2: and I haven't read it yet, so now I'm going to.
3: Get into it. I'm telling you this as a German who's really truly, you know, tried by any kind of post-World War II or Nazi story, but his perspective on a Nazi family finding themselves in a new country and dissecting all the dysfunctions that mm. does not make their family work despite moving physical locations. Freaking phenomenal. And it's a short book and he makes it happen in a short amount of time. So that was phenomenal. Um, and then I also really loved The Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Neto, a Mexican author since I went to Mexico this year to check out the reading scene there, I wanted to read more Latin American, Mexican, um, writers. And she's just stunning. Her magical realism memoir type writing is just blowing my socks off. And I immediately got more books by her and read everything that was translated and available in English. So that was just a total love affair. And speaking to her in Mexico and meeting her in person was a real freaking treat and highlight of my year. So that one. But then also Bone gave me a totally new access to poetry. And I actually heard that from many of the readers on the subway this year was that they said fiction is so hard sometimes to attach your own narrative to that story. But poetry now has been democratized by social media. And I do think there are phenomenal poets out there who have made use of this democratization. And I think Bowen is a book by um, by Miss Daly Ward, uh, who just really is a beautiful testament to that.
2: Yeah. Wait, oh. I have another one, real quick, because and I thinking about when you were talking about Latin American authors. Um, even though she's now a New Yorker, Valeria Vaselli's "Tell Me How It Ends" I think is. It's probably my favorite book of the year. And I think it's the most important book I've read in a long, long time. Um, Can I, just, I ask
1: what the turnaround was between it being written and translated?
2: Uh, she wrote it in English. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I just, so I just hosted a book club at The Public where we read it. And I had gone back... Because I read it when it first came out and then I read it again. But I was doing research to like be able to host a book club of people who are not readers. And... I discovered that this was the first book that she wrote totally in English and she was, she did an interview where she was talking about sort of transitioning from being a Spanish speaker, Spanish writer to an English speaker, English writer. And that this, this book felt like it had to be written in English because it was speaking to such specific things about American culture that if she had written it and translated it, it wouldn't work the same way.
3: Amazing. Yeah. Uh,
2: I want to do one more as well. Um, we had her on the show,
0: so go back and listen to the episode also. But Alyssa Netting's Made for Love is a bizarre novel that it's one of the, it's, it's a weird fiction novel that plays like a regular uh, fiction novel. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's so interesting to talk about like the surveillance state where she, which she takes into the next um, realm of where we might go. Mm -hmm. and also then just makes like a really funny like it's it's of that world of it's really um, interesting ideas but she's playing with them in ways that like are really surprising and fun Mm -hmm. do you want to all right now now it's your turn um i
1: don't have a very good answer to this uh so the question is like what what did you read this year that that felt like urgent or like Mm -hmm. that made sense um I probably read more words this year um than I ever have uh but so uh this year, a friend of mine uh uh started a slack for adult fans of one direction uh, <laughs> and it's been amazing, and I hang out there every day and I love so many these people in it, but it means that this year I've read more than ever, but like ninety percent of it has been fan fiction hmm. and it's this Hell amazing yeah. like like it's escapism. That's what it is. It's all escapism. And it's been so comforting in like a horrible year when like, you know, my family members can't get green cards to just think about Harry Styles and Lily Tomlinson for hours and hours and hours (laughs) of time. And to have a community of women that I talk to about it. Um, So like, it's not, I, I don't think that uh, it should ever be commodified. I think that that would probably ruin most of the good things about it. And you know, there are people who can talk about that much more knowledgeably than I can. Um, but for me, like, I, I was not really on top of my like hard-hitting nonfiction reading, or or even or even my important fiction reading um, so much. Although this, I got the same sense of kind of like um, not escapism, but internality and thinking about what matters to you from books like Rachel Kongs' Goodbye Vitamin. Mm. Um, like that was kind of what made the year doable for me Hmm. uh, when like Twitter and the news made it difficult to think about like what I was choosing to consume
5: Mm.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna co-opt an idea of Bianca's and maybe we'll send each other off on just telling Tom Hanks giving him some advice but where you should go for uncommon type 2 uh, or or just the advice to give him on uncommoner well. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> i'm imagining that i'm his agent and like over the course of decades i've figured out how to give like i i i don't feel qualified to give the advice of like an extremely eager assistant who wants to provide a memo, memo to their boss and for that boss to provide the memo to the agent to provide to tom hanks if i were within 1 degree of tom hanks if i were an agent i would like just just steer him away from book projects and towards screenwriting projects so heavily, and be like, oh, you know, I love that Green Street novel. Like, oh, let's work on a screenplay for that. It was so great. What are your other ideas? I would just like do everything I can to like so, like do like a kind of song and dance and like distract him from doing another one. It can't have been profitable. Um, it wasn't that good. It got a lot of scathing reviews. The reviews were yeah yeah so like surely you would be smart enough to just like turn him away and be like that short story in the new york was great we're gonna get david remnick on the phone next week and we got a call scheduled meanwhile polar express 2's coming out next christmas <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's,
0: that's what i would say i think i'm just gonna look at this next bottle of wine and uh we should just...
4: and remove the santa outfit that's <laughs> yeah, on this and tell us
0: where we're gonna <laughs> go next While you think about your final thoughts? No, no, I have no final thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Christopher
4: is
3: currently thinking about all of his children, you guys. Leave him alone. Give him time. No,
2: Um, Christopher is just watching that thing you do in his head. He's like, that's such a good movie. It is a good movie.
0: Well, I don't know. I just want to. Um, I just want to thank all of you for joining us for this um, different episode of So Many Damn Books. I think it was lively and super fun, and I also want to thank all the people
2: listening at home for yes, continuing to listen to So Many Damn Books all year long. It has been a great year, and that is largely due to both our guests and our listeners. Yes, and not we so were... much to us. No, we were incidental in this process, um,
0: but. Um, you know uli nasli bianca thank you so much ooh, for uh joining us and um, opening
3: so many damn bottles
0: hey
3: <laughs> shit um, we should have done that
2: oh do you wanna do you wanna send us off with what this bottle is um bianca oh i should say this was the this was the uh table wine at thanksgiving my uncle and his girlfriend who are big uh wine drinkers were like they brought two cases and I ended up bringing like half a case That's home. I many
1: bottles.
4: I want and this to party is the last bottle family, that... Andrew.
2: Oh yeah. So what do you think of this one, Bianca?
4: I haven't tried it yet, but it looks like a wine. <laughs> <laughs>